This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Philly's Backstage. This is Tom Burgoyne, joined by my friend John Brazier, partner in crime. And, John, I know you're very excited about our next guest. I'm very excited because our next guest is from Philadelphia, Jamie Moyer. He was obviously a World Series hero with us. Uh, but also, he's, um, you know, we knew him as a player. We knew him as a broadcaster. Uh, but you know, until I t- picked up his book, which is called Just Tell Me I Can't, he wrote with Larry Platt, um, it was fascinating. It really was. It delved deep into the mental, physical, just everything. The journey, and think about it, obviously, Jamie had a long career uh, with a lot of ups and downs, and it just was a fascinating read. So Awesome, awesome. And Jamie, there it is. John Brazier is giving it two thumbs up. He's ready to be your agent. If I had ten thumbs, I'd yeah, give ten I'd, thumbs up. <laughs> I, I love it, and thank you, John. Uh, as you said, you know, this, this book was, you know, hopefully to be somewhat motivational. Um. But, you know, to share with people, you know, some of the trials and tribulations of, of being a baseball player and, you know, and, and you know, how it can kind of maybe cross over into everyday life, uh, whether you're an athlete or you, you know, have a job. Yeah. Or, you know, when did you re- uh, write it, Jamie? How long has it been out? Oh, wow. Uh, good question. It was back. Uh, it's probably around 2012 or 13, right? I know you you, you finished your career yeah, in 2012. Yeah, it was. Well, it was. Yeah, yeah. So it was when I was with the Rockies, uh, and it was actually, yeah, it was during the you know, that the winter before. I want to say the winter of 11. It started and it went through the. Well, I only had a short season in 12 with the Rockies, uh, but through that that season and into the summer, yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, Great. I will pick, read it, John. You got to uh, as soon as you're done with it. So give it to me. I'll give it a read. And uh, I, Jamie, I've always and we've talked about this before. You know, I got married and we moved up to the uh, Lansdale area, and it's so funny that you know, John, <laughs> when we moved in. Oh, you work for the Phillies? They knew I you know, work for the Phillies. They're like, oh, we know Jamie. And I'm telling you, Jamie, I don't know if it's, uh, you know, just people telling tall tales, but I think every person I ran into who grew up around the time you did says they hit a home run off you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And, and you know what I have with that line? Get in line, right? Because a lot of people have. So, yes. You know, that was, that was my job, just to advance the ball forward from me so, you, you know, you could hit it, yeah. right? Well, and sometimes they went over the fence and sometimes they didn't. Jamie, guess what? And then, you know, John, we knew you were coming on the podcast and, you know, I started looking into your, you know, your stats and in high school, it's like, I think your junior year, you went 10 and 0, you had three, three no hitters, three no hitters yeah. <laughs> consecutively. Yeah, it's like, and, and, yeah. Yeah. Not to brag, but they were in a row. So that was kind of fun. I remember that. And I can't say, you know, I'm getting kind of old now, but I can't say I remember it like it happened yesterday, but I do recall a lot of it. 
And you know what? I lost my no-hitter, believe it or not. I do remember this. On a swinging bunt, that ball went kind of in that Bermuda Triangle between the mound and first base, and I misplayed the ball. And that's how my uh, my uh, no-hit inning streak got broken. It, I want to say it was like 29 and two-thirds innings. That's well. Then you went to St. Joe's University, and yep. in 1984, you set the single season record in wins with 16, ERA the 1.99, strikeouts at 90. Uh, you're the only St. Joe's player, at least, and maybe it's happened since, but only St. Joe's player to have their number retired. And you're one of three inductees into the first class of St. Joe's Baseball Hall of Fame. Jamie, did you know you were going to St. Joe's the whole time? Were there any other colleges you were no, considering? No, I did not. Uh, you know what? I was initially I was going to Montgomery County Community College. Okay. And uh, George Bennett, who was the coach at St. Joe at the time, uh, was up in Allentown. I was in an American Legion baseball tournament up in Allentown. And he was there to watch uh, another kid pitch, uh, Glenn Gambler, who ended up being my roommate at St. Joe. He went to Boyertown. And uh, he watched him pitch. And I believe I pitched in the next game. And he hung around just to watch the game. And he saw me pitch. And as soon as the game was over, he came over and asked me, you know, where I was going to college and if I had any interest in going to college. So, um, you know, it all kind of fell into place. You know, I'll be totally honest with you. you know, my grades weren't that great in high school, you know, and I, I just didn't uh, put the effort, the correct effort into my education. So I learned the hard way. And uh, I actually had to go to St. Joe uh, to night school to prove to to St. Joe that I could get into, you know, the regular school. And I had to get a 2.5 or better, which I did because I applied myself, right? You can apply yourself as an athlete. You should be able to apply yourself in the classroom. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was able to do that. I transferred into the day school, played in the spring of, uh, you know, my freshman year. And, you know, two, what, three years later, I got drafted in the sixth round by the Cubs. All right, and then let's go back a little bit because in 1980, uh, you, myself, and Tom Burgoyne were at the same place, uh, and we did the exact same thing. We all three of us uh, skipped out of school, and we went to the 1980 <laughs> and we went to the 1980 parade. I know you were there. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I was. And then I then then flashing forward, which I think is great, growing up a Phillies fan, and then you, know, you mentioned that you were a huge Steve Carlton fan. I know Tom, you were, and that was my favorite player. But how cool is this? In 1986, you make your MLB debut on June 16th versus the Phillies, and who's who's the opposing pitcher? Yep, Steve Carlton. And yeah, then, it was it was. And he becomes almost part. Well, I was gonna say he almost becomes really a big part of your life in the very beginning, and also towards the end. Uh, and I guess we can jump right there. Talk about and then also just the mental aspect. I mean, he had Gus Hefling, but you had right. you know Harvey Dorfman. So there was a lot of parallels with you and Steve Carlton. Yeah, you know, and it's it's really interesting. I don't think I wrote about this in the book, but you know, going to school at St. Joe, uh, my uh, college coach George Bennett um, was friends with David Montgomery, and uh, one I want I believe it was a January or February um, set it up for me to meet Steve Carlton, huh. and. Um, I met Steve Carlton and, you know, talked to him a little bit about pitching. And then uh, might have been that same year, I actually went to the vet down underneath and hung out with Claude Osteen, who was the pitching coach at that point in time. 
And uh, we, you know, I threw a little bit and we talked about mechanics and things like that. So behind the scenes, you know, I had some little things going on with the Phillies uh, through people that I know who knew people in the Phillies organization. So, and the craziest thing was, you know, during my, you know, tenure as a baseball player, when I was with the Cardinals and got sent to Louisville and I think that would have been 1991. I ended up playing with Claude's son, David Osteen. Huh. Uh-huh. And then, and, and on top of that, my very first roommate in short season A ball was David Amaro, <laughs> the son of Ruben Amaro. Oh, yeah. David, David went to uh, Duke. He was a star at Duke. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. And, uh, and he and I were roommates. Um, and, and obviously, Reuben was younger than David. Reuben would come visit David. Hmm. So I knew Reuben before, you know, and Reuben was in, I believe he was in high school, then went to, I know he went to Stanford after that, and then he played professionally as well. And then became, you know, or when I came over to the Phillies in 06, he was the assistant GM to eventually become the general manager. So, I mean, it's just, this whole baseball world thing is a small world. It really is. And you had talked about, you know, in the beginning of this show here that, you know, it's the trials and tribulations. And that's what I think I really uh, got the most out of the book is it, it really is a life lesson for you don't have to be an athlete to read that to, to really get value out of this book. Um, and I want to get into this Harvey Dorfman, but. You, st- you know, 84 again, or 86, you made your debut. You know, you had some pretty good years going forward. Then in 1990, you know, Tom Grieve, who was the Rangers GM, was, was one of several guys in your career that basically said, you know, we, we don't see you helping us. Or, you know, I know right. Joe, uh, Joe Torrey um, said something that, you know, we don't win right. when you're playing. And right. you know, a lot of guys would just say, you know what? you know, be mad at those people and then just, you know, and, and not give up, but just almost give up. And you did the exact opposite. You just kept fighting it. And I love the fact in 1990, talk about, this is a, you know, a big part of your, of your career. Uh, your agent, Jim Bronner, told you to, uh, you might want to meet with Harvey Dorfman. And Harvey Dorfman, Philly fans might know that name because Roy Halladay uh, was a big um follower of Harvey Dorfman. Disciple. Yep. Yeah. So talk, yep. talk about yep. that. Talk about, uh, you, know, yeah. you know, going to that and Harvey well, Dorfman, you know what, what he meant to you. Right. Right. Well, you're, you're right, John, and saying, you know, when you, when you get released or when people tell you, you know, things that you can't do or you're not doing, you know, the, 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 the very first thought is you're going to get angry and you're going to defend yourself. Right. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I learned from Harvey is you have control of your, of your destination. And, when you can start to become the person who can manage yourself and, you know, it's not like you become a robot, but you think about what yourself and you have to think highly of yourself and you have to work hard. And not only, you know, and anybody can say, I work hard. I can go in the weight room and, and do my weight workouts. I can go to, as a pitcher, I can do all my cardio work. I can throw good bullpens, this, that, and the other. But you also, there's another part of this game, and it's a big part of the game, and it's the mental side of the game. And the mental, Harvey had taught me or opened my eyes to how important the mental side is, and it's how you think, and it's how you approach things, and it's how you look at things. And I, you know, I eventually learned that, you know, we, we as human beings usually learn more in a negative situation than we do in a positive situation. And we're more apt to listen to people when things aren't going well. Right. Yep. 
but you still have to, and you know, so what I learned as I, you know, started to go through my career that, boy, on that day that I struggled or maybe I won. Okay, great. Won or lost, it didn't matter. Maybe I wasn't happy with my performance. Well, then I started to ask, I had questions that I would ask myself, you know, did it start with preparation? Did it start with focus? Um, did I lose, uh, control of the game, the speed, did the game speed up? You hear people talk about the game speeding up around them. You know, those, those are all mental things. And yeah, when it starts to get exciting and loud and people are running around the bases and, you know, everything's going on the field, can you slow that down? Can you have good positive self-talk and, and stay focused on the task at hand? So there's a lot of little things that I've just mentioned there that I really had to work on. And I worked on them one at a time. And it, it, you know, it didn't happen in a day. It didn't happen in a week. It happened over the course of several years. But as I started to see things start to change and how much control I had over things, hmm. and, and I focused on those things rather than the things that I couldn't control. Right? I couldn't control when Charlie took me out of the game. I couldn't control if, you know, we didn't score runs. I couldn't control if we didn't catch the ball, but I could control me and my character and my behavior and my focus and focusing on one pitch at a time and understanding what situation I'm in and who am I facing and what part of the game are we in and, you know, try to, you know, there's, there's men on second and third and less than two outs. And, you know, we're up by two runs and who's at the plate? Can I pitch around this guy to walk the bases to maybe the next guy is a ground ball guy that I can get a double play with? Or if I can get a pop-up or if I can get ahead early in the count with two strikes, maybe I can go for a strikeout not being a strikeout pitcher. So, I mean, these are all things that you learn. You have to learn to manage, but you also have to know what your skill sets are. Right. And then you also learn that the mind is, is just as much a muscle as any other muscle on your body, right? And so it's a lot oh, of a lot of it was, was preparation. And I wish I knew this because hopefully I didn't bother you when, knowing the preparation now that you went through. But talk about uh, Harvey Dorfman had you um, do these two five by ten cards that you took pretty much right. the rest of your career. Talk talk about that. Yep. Yeah. One was this uh, a number grid that's actually in the book in and not in my book in his book. Uh, the mental game of baseball or the mental guide to baseball. Um, and I just, I had, uh, I got my own, you know, three by five card or five by eight card. And I made, uh, you know, this same number grid and then I laminated it. And, uh, you know, I would go sit back and I don't know, I haven't been in the Phillies clubhouse in a while, but it might be now be their lounge or something, but it used to be a storage room. And before I would pitch, I would go in there and I would go through this number grid and I would have to go from zero, zero to 99 without using fingers and find the numbers. And you think, oh, that's pretty easy. Well, you know what? Try it. You know, go, go to, into his book and try it and see how sometimes it can be very difficult. And to me, that's when, you know, your focus and your concentration isn't in the right place. So, you know, I, you know, what I started doing with it is I put, I set a timer on it and I would time myself to it. And it wasn't a race. It was to do it correctly. But what it was, it was, uh, and it wasn't a test, but it was a way, one of the ways I used to refine my focus before I went out on the field. And then the other card, I had questions that I asked myself. Um, 
about, you know, what I was expecting out of the day, how I prepared. It talked about breathing, um, you know, little things that I should be aware of. And then there was, you know, two big questions on there about, um, you know, if there's a problem, how to deal with it. And then if there is a problem, you know, what to do to get through the problem. So I did that from 1991 before every start till 2020 or 2012. Wow. That was just part of my routine, right? We all have routines. Yeah. And Jamie, was there any other uh, teammates kind of using the same techniques or any other players that was, uh, you know, that you kind of were looking up to at that point? Well, I, you know, every, I think everybody does their own thing and, and the information that you get, if you're you know, into this kind of stuff, you know, you find ways to use it for yourself. And I, as, as John has already alluded, you know, Roy was a big disciple of Harvey Dorfman. Raul Abanez was a big disciple of Harvey Dorfman. Um, I turned a couple of my teammates on to Harvey's book, uh, when I was in Seattle, uh, a couple of younger players. So, you know, I, I never would push it on anybody, but I would talk to guys about it. And, you know, and it, it becomes a choice, right? And, you know, if you, if you would have handed me this book in 1986, uh, you know, the, the, the day that I pitched against Steve Carlton and the Phillies and beat them, I would have probably put the book in the back of my locker and said, I don't need it, hmm. right? Yeah. But, you know, several five years down the road when I was struggling, and I was looking, you know, seeking out, you know, help or advice or whatever it might be. Um, you know, I had already read the book and then I had the good fortune of spending two and a half days at Harvey Dorfman's house. And at the time he lived in Prescott, Arizona. And you know, I thought I really understood the book until I went and spent two and a half days with Harvey. And he really challenged me with a lot of things. And he made me look at myself. And it wasn't that I was doing things. I'm, the way I prepared, I, my preparation wasn't good, and my self-talk was horrible. Okay, but my prep, you know, my my physical preparation was fine, but my mental preparation was very poor. But I didn't understand it, right? Yeah. So this, that's what he got me to understand, and it allowed me to then go home and revamp, reevaluate, look at things, try things find things that I liked, find things that didn't work for me. And over time, it just evolved for me. Yeah, and then, you know, you hear the expression, it takes a village to raise a child. You know, there are so many people in your life that, you know, in your baseball life that really affected you. And and I'm, you know, you were known in the beginning as, you know, your fastball and your changeup. And then you were looking for a pitch to break into – you know, right-handers as obviously you're left-handed. Right. Uh, and then I, I believe Buddy Groom was the one who taught you the cutter yep. that kind of came yep. in on a right-hander. And then later, yep. which I thought was fast, talk about in 2010 when you were injured for the World Series, you caught Steve Carlton for a first pitch, and then you had a very interesting interaction with him, but which helped you after that year. Yeah, you know, I mean, it was, you know, talking about the slider and, you know, my cutter at times would turn into a slider and it would get big and I didn't want it big. So, but I mean, just talking to Steve, I think, especially when about pitching, I mean, it's just, it's an enlightening conversation. Again, he played mostly the era that he played in was in the era that I, you know, was before me, but we obviously crossed paths. 
But, you know, and as a kid watching him grow up, I know how dominating he was. And I know he was a fastball slide, basically a fastball slider pitcher. And you're right. He was a, a, a Gus Heffling disciple. Um, and again, it's all about discipline. And Steve had unbelievable discipline. So, you know, when, when people like that speak, you're all ears, yeah. right? You, you take that information in and then, you know, maybe not everything they say is applicable to you. But there are some things that, you know, hey, I'm going to try this or I'm going to fiddle with this or I'm, you know, and that's, you know, to me, that's, that's how you learn, right? You know, people before you or people that you're playing with, you know, and that's why, you know, a lot of times people said, man, you know, what do you guys do on the bench? Well, we talk a lot about what's going on in the field or what's going on with us individually. Um, you know, it's just, it's a great, there's so much information to learn. Yeah and tinker with in the game. And to me, that's the fun part about the game. Well, I had another person that was very influential, you know, talking about the mental, you know, Lou Pinello was a guy who was all about getting the mental edge. Uh, and, oh, yeah. and I think in 1997, he told you that, uh, that you got you to throw your changeup more. You got to be more aggressive. Right. You got to be more aggressive with the changeup and you're not throwing it enough. And it looks like that was another moment in time that from that yep. point on, you kind of, took off and you had those great seasons with Seattle. Yeah, that that conversation took place uh, at Candlestick Park in his office one day before I had a bullpen. And I was really struggling, and I, I was aware of that. And, you know, he always said, hey, my door's open. And so I went in and knocked on the door. I said, hey, Skip, you got a minute? Sure, come on in and close the door. I went in and sat down. I said, what are you seeing? And, you know, he called every, you know, I it, it's funny because when I first went to the Mariners, he called everybody's son. And I'm thinking, does he have a son on this team? <laughs> well, I think what it was, I don't think he knew everybody's name. So he just called everybody's son. <laughs> so he goes, son, what's up? And uh, I said, you know, I'm really struggling. And, you know, what are you seeing? And uh, he said, well, if, you know, from my perspective as a hitter and, and watching you pitch when you've been, had success, you're not using your changeup enough. And I, you know, I wanted to say, oh, you're full of baloney, right? But, you know, I wanted to be respectful. I went in there to ask. So, you know, sometimes, you know, when you ask, you know, you have to be, pre I learned that you have to be prepared to hear something maybe you don't want to hear, or you're not uh, agreeing with what you're hearing. And, um, you know, after the conversation, you know, I thought about it. And that day I went out, I started working on my changeup, working on my changeup, playing catch in the bullpen, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, lo and behold, you know, a start or two later, it clicked in, you know, and, you know, all as it was, they walked by Lou and said, thanks, you're right. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. Well, and you, you had such great years in Seattle, Jamie, and, and I don't know if uh, the casual uh, sports fan in Philadelphia uh, understood that. Uh, I think people knew baseball certainly did, but uh, I think it was more, oh, you know, Jamie's on the, you know, the tail end of his career, and uh, we didn't get a chance, to, you know, Philadelphia sports fans to see you in Seattle. But, you know, to be part of that 2001 season there where, you know, the Mariners won 116 games, you were a 20-game winner, you know, you really racked up the numbers, you were such a big part of not only that team but the community uh what was it like when you know you heard you were being traded to philadelphia in 2006 well you know what it was in in, in a respectful way it was a blessing um you know we went through uh several years in seattle where we played well we really got a good taste of winning and there was an expectation to win 
And, you know, call it what you want. We got old. We traded players away. They released players. That happens. That's just, that's just how the game works, right? Unfortunately, we do get old. And, uh, you know, our winning ways had left us. And it was starting to become a struggle. And I was getting older. And, look, early in my career, I played on a lot of losing teams. And, boy, when you play on a losing team and you're playing 162 games, boy, that season feels like it's 215 games. It's just, it's miserable. And then sometimes attitudes go south and you feel like people don't care and things like that. And it was, that was starting to happen in Seattle. And I had pitched the game, uh, the night before in Anaheim. I didn't particularly pitch well and we were not playing well. And, you know, the, the taste of my mouth was bad. And, you know, golly, I was, uh, in my forties at that time. And I went home and thought about, you know what, this is, this is it. This is my last year. And the next day I went to the ballpark. Um, I was pulled into the manager's office and they said, and you know, I was a, a five ten guy cause I had been, you know, I had more than 10 years of service and five of it was consecutive with the Mariners. I mean, I had been there 10 years at that point. Um, so I really had the 10 and five just playing in Seattle. And, uh, they said, would, would you, uh, consider a trade? And I looked at him and I said, to who and when? And they said, well, as soon as we can get something worked out. So at that point in time, I was my own agent. So, um, they said, well, it's the Phillies. And they said, we're waiting for a call back from the Phillies. Um, they're going to call here in this office on this number. They said, we're going to go out for batting practice. Why don't you wait? Because the Phillies want to talk to you since you're representing yourself. So it ended up Ruben called me from uh, the skyboxes or whatever it was at the time when, when the Nationals were playing in, what was that, JFK Stadium before yeah. they had their new stadium? Oh, RFK. RFK. Yeah, RFK. RF, yeah, RFK Stadium. Excuse yeah. me. JFK was in Philly. My bad. Yeah, we saw a lot um, of concerts. And, <laughs> yeah. And um, it was really noisy in the background. And, you know, he was like, well, would you consider a trade? And I'm like, yeah. You know, I'd, I'd love to come to Philadelphia. You know, and, and knowing, you know, again, I, I, I had a little bit of an idea what was going on in Philadelphia, but I really didn't understand what was going on in Philadelphia at that time. A lot of young prospects coming up, team, you know, on the rise, um, a lot of homegrown players, a lot of homegrown talent that's ready to come to the big leagues. And I'm like, sure. And uh, he said, all right, well, let us get back with the Mariners and figure something out. And uh, I want to say it was either that night or the next day it was official. And we went back to Seattle, and uh, I actually met the team. Uh, the Phillies went from, if I'm not mistaken, went from uh, Washington to Chicago, and I met the team in Chicago, and the rest is history. Yeah, and, and it's it's funny. In your career, too, especially in the beginning, you had some big, like you defeated the Nationals, the Phillies defeated the Nationals, you pitching uh, to clinch. We, talked, we had Aaron Rowan about a month ago, and we talked about that last game when – if you remember mm-hmm. the Mets, uh, you guys came back from down seventeen, uh, or it's down seven games with seventeen games left, right? And then, right. so you guys, you were pitching that game, and you knew, maybe you didn't know. Did you know when you were when you took the mound that the Mets were already down? You know, I think seven well, at that time. Well, if, if you if you recall that day, uh, the Mets 
started, I, I don't I, or, um, I don't recall if we were the national game on TV or not, but for whatever reason, the Mets game started, I want to say an hour or hour and a half before our game started. And I believe Tom Glavin pitched for the Mets did, that day. Yeah. I don't recall. I don't recall who they were playing. And uh, I think uh, they were they whoever were they were the, playing. The Marlins, yeah, they were Marlins. playing the Marlins. The Marlins, yeah. And I think they were down a little bit early on. And obviously, you know, the, everybody in the ballpark knew it. The fans knew it, right? So when you hear fans cheering, <laughs> and nothing's going on in our game, right. you know something good is happening, right? So I had, you know, I, I could put two and two together and I had an award. Did I focus on it? No, because my, again, my focus needed to be on that game. I had to do my job, right? For us to, you know, you know, I, not only, and not only did I have to do my job, but all my teammates had to do their job. So if we focused on what we could control and, you know, and the Mets, we knew if the Mets lost, you know, we, we were golden, right? Yeah. So, Focusing on what we needed to control, and that's what we became really good at in Philadelphia, I think, is we focused on what we needed to do. Yeah. And, you know, it, it all worked out. And then, two, and and then I, the, the, another interesting story, Jamie, is that 2008, the World Series, before your World Series start, when this is mm-hmm. a team you grew up watching, right? You're in your yep. you're in your World Series against the Rays. You went out to dinner. Yep. I, I'm not going to mention the place because I don't want to give bad. You know, I, you right. don't even know if it happened to that place, and it's one of my favorite places right. in Philly. Uh, but you ate dinner the night before, and you woke up with an upset stomach, right? I mean, were you well, worried that you weren't? You know, gonna... it it actually you know it actually started. My stomach started grumbling when we were leaving Tampa. Okay. And so I think I you know I don't know if it was food. I, 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 you know, looking back on it, I don't think it was food. I think it was some sort of a virus. Gotcha. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I, I didn't know where it was going to take me. And we did go out to dinner. You know, we had family in town and it was an exciting time. And, um, you know, as we got done dinner, I had to, you know, it wasn't far from where we lived. I had to excuse myself from the table and I walked home and put myself in bed as I was feeling that miserable and I knew the importance of the, you know, the next day for me was hugely important. Right. I, I, you know, I was 40 some odd years old and I dreamt about, you know, pitching in a world series game my whole life. Right. I was not, you know, it didn't matter you know, if I had to sleep on the roof of the building, I would have slept on the roof of the building, you know, cause I was pitching the next day. But unfortunately, you know, my stomach didn't agree with me and I was, up part of the night I had, I was sweating and, you know, and I, you know, I'm just thinking it's, it's, you know, what I, when I usually get a, when I'm feeling like this, if I'm getting a cold or I have the flu, I usually put sweatpants on, socks on, shirts on, sweatshirts on, pull the hood up, put blankets, you know, get underneath the blankets and try to sweat it out. Well, I, I did that and got up the next morning and my whole, I, not only were my clothes soaked, my bed was soaked just because I was sweating so much. And I got up, I took a shower, put dry clothes on, and I went back to bed and uh, got up uh, around lunchtime. And the family was like, well, you know, you should probably go to the hospital. I'm like, hospital? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, you know, there's no word in there. You know, there's, it's not Citizens Hospital Bank, right? right? right. Or Hospital Citizens Bank. I said, I'm going to work. And uh, I had uh, some chicken noodle soup, and I had a peanut butter and banana sandwich, 
and left. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I went to the ballpark. I, you know, as soon as I got there, I went in the training room and I, you know, told the trainers what was going on. They gave me a modium and more modium and more modium because I was having episodes that I couldn't control. And, um, you know, there was no way I was not pitching that day. And, uh, you know, as, as we got towards the game, I was ready to go. And of course we had a rain delay, right? Yeah. So the game didn't start, you know, and now I'm, you know, I was like a bull in a China shop. You know, I was just pacing and pacing. I was ready to go. Right. But I couldn't, you know, mother nature was in charge and so was the league as far as when we could start the game. So I had to wait it out. And, you know, to me, the rest is history. Rest is history. And you were, and you know, you pitched a gym and were you able to block everything out? I mean, you know, people talk I here, uh, I, Jamie, yeah, how the fans, you know, to. we were so in, you know, the crowd's going crazy, but you know, uh, I guess you were able to just block it all out and concentrate. Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, I, I would never really let my attention draw away from what I was doing, especially walking from the bullpen to the bench. And it was one time where I allowed, my, you know, allowed myself to look up and really take in what was going on in the ballpark pregame. And, you know, they had those, those, those towels. And was the, the funny thing that I remember was all these people waving the towels you would have been blown away by all the lint yeah. that you could see in the air because I was basically underneath of it all, right? right Everybody's yeah. above me. And, you, and the lights are glaring. And all you, you, you looked in the stands, all you saw was lint. Yeah. Um, but it was exciting. It was uplifting. And, uh, you know, and I allowed myself to kind of give my mom a nod and my, or my parents a nod nice. and my family a nod. And, um, you know, then it was back to, you know, focus on what's going on and you know while I was pitching my you know my stomach wasn't bothering me but as soon as I sat down uh you know it wasn't feeling good so but you know like I said this was a this was a time for me to to really focus and 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 challenge myself yeah and and then you also got a memento after it after the world series talk about the memento that you uh dug up (laughs) <laughs> yeah, as as I'm going to tell you about it, I can touch it. It's sitting in my oh, office right now. very nice. That's one of my questions. Yeah. Where is it? Yeah. Great. Very nice. Yep, yep. So, yeah, after the World Series, you know, we're celebrating out on the field. We're kind of all over the field. And it's, uh, for whatever reason, I ended up, you know, right by the mound and standing with a bunch of people. And I looked down, I'm like, man, I wonder what they're going to do with that rubber. I wonder if I can take it. And... Uh, one of the grounds crew guys was standing close by and I said, Hey, do you think I can get, you know, take that rubber? And they're like, I don't know. And they said, let me go ask my boss and said, well, I guess, I don't know if the league wants it or the Phillies want it. So they said, all right. So they went and they get a pick and a shovel nice. and they came running out and, you know, they said here and I started digging, digging. I was so, I was sweating. I was out of breath. <laughs> We finally got it out, and uh, I didn't realize there's about a 23-pound cement piece that goes through the middle of the rubber to support it. And I picked it up, threw it on my shoulder, started carrying it around, and you know, at that point, I didn't care. Um, eventually, took it in the clubhouse. The next day, I woke up and my shoulder was so <laughs> sore from that. Because right. yeah, it's about 30 some some odd pounds, and it's hard rubber. 
and the bone on the top of my shoulder, I felt like I broke my shoulder. There's some great pictures, too. Great pictures of that, too, Jamie. And, yeah. you know, the cool, the cool thing is when I got it out of the ground, there was some mud stuck on the bottom, and it's still there. Really? It, wow. dried, it dried to the rubber. And then actually what I did, I don't know if you recall, um, I believe it was that night, Tim McGraw threw out the, the first pitch. Yes. Oh, yeah. And he had some of his dad's ashes in his yep. pocket. Yep. And he dropped them on the mound, which I thought was really cool. Um, so I also have a little baggie of dirt um, from the mound sitting right on top of the rubber. So, yeah, that's my little memento um, that I borrowed from the Phillies. Yeah, he was in, <laughs> he was in suite one before the game, and he was telling us mm-hmm. he was telling some of us that He's got a surprise, a but we, surprise, he didn't want to tell right. us what it was. And then we were all right. watching him. And I think we saw what he was doing, but we couldn't exactly right. be sure until he came back. So that's great. Right. Hey, right. I, and, yeah. and just also just, you know, there's so many great numbers. I, I could I could spend another half hour on, you know, obviously you were the oldest player to, to get a win. You were the oldest player to get an RBI. And, again, there's so many cool milestones you had. The one stat, Jamie. They're, they're that all I, related to the yeah, but they're all related to the word old. Yeah, but but, but that but <laughs> or uh, older. But here's a, here's you, and I give you so much credit for. I forgot that you had when you had Tommy John surgery. You at at 48, you went through that. Most people would have stopped if they got Tommy John right. surgery at 35. You kept persevering and saying, you know what, I got another challenge left in me, and and yeah. you made the roster in Colorado. So there's there's so many kudos, Jamie. That you know we we got to give you but the one cool stat that i'm going to give you that i know you know because it's in the it was in the book the coolest stat ever tom you ready you're not gonna Go believe ahead. this i didn't believe it i'm i he's faced jamie's faced 8.9 percent of the game's batters in major league baseball history <laughs> wow. it doesn't sound right does no, it that is right? crazy. i mean baseball's yeah. been going on since 1870 whatever it, yeah right? yeah and he's right. faced eight almost nine percent of the batters in history <laughs> right that's crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I feel pretty honored. And, you know, part, you know, when, when you get older in the game, you know, especially the younger guys, they like to joke with the old guys. And, and part of it was, you know, I, especially Jimmy Rollins, he would love to, you know, you know, jab me about, you know, they'd bring up, you know, something, say they brought up a stat or something, or, you know, and this happened in 1934 or whatever. <laughs> right. You know, and guys would say, well, wasn't that the year you broke in? Or did you <laughs> right. clean that guy's shoes? Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's it, it was a lot. We had a lot of a lot of laughs about old things and and old times in the game. So yeah, but you know what? I I I really I enjoyed playing as an older player. Um, you know, it was a challenge, of course. But the other part to me was it was really cool to be an older player and being able to play against younger, talented players. Uh, and still be able to be somewhat successful. You know, I, I'll never say that I was hugely successful. And, you know, I mean, the reason I was successful, have you know, I had some really big years. I had some good offense behind me. I had some good defense behind me. I had some really good, you know, I threw to some really good catchers. It, it's not just one person in a game. It takes a team to win a game. It takes a club, an organization, a city. To you know, to win uh, you know, a World Series, you know, it's it, there's a lot of people involved, and and I'll never, I'll, I will always respect that, and I will never forget that how 
you know, one guy, yeah, one guy can carry a team for a couple of days or a couple of starts or what it, whatever it might be. But when you look at a team that wins, right, in a team sport, when you look at a team that wins, you know, you need the whole team. You need everybody to contribute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No question. It happened in 2008, and we'll never forget it, Jamie. And, I, and I'm looking yep. at John over here. He's uh, getting his quiz out. So you're ready to take the Phillies backstage quiz, Jamie Moyer. This is your life. Okay, here we go. <laughs> it, it's multiple choice. He doesn't sound confident, John. You mentioned you weren't good in school way back when, but I think you're going to do well here. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it's eight questions, multiple choice. It's all about your life. So you uh, should do okay. pretty well. Yeah, have a shot. All right. And knowing both of us, it's it, it, there's some silliness involved here as well. So Okay. All right. So what does he need to for – what's the baseline? He should get five? Six, uh, six out of eight. Six out of eight? All yeah. right. All right. I like it. All right. Question number one. Uh, you went to Souderton Area High School, right? Which is, and I didn't even mention that Ashes Chocolates, that's my, my wife's family yep. business, is that's in Souderton. Up in the neighborhood. Yep. yep. So uh, which of these celebrities did not go to Souderton Area High School? I'm going to name four celebrities. One did not go to Souderton Area High School. All right. A is Donald Haldeman, who is a 1976 Summer Olympics gold medalist in trap shooting. Uh, B is yep. J- John he, Worcester. He, Oh, you're already going to take him out of it? John Worcester, drummer for the band Super Chunk and the Mountain Goats. Uh, C is Gene Whoa. Rayburn, host of Match Game 75 or 6. Gene, Gene Rayburn. I don't even need to hear the fourth one. <laughs> and, Jamie, we I always put, uh, you know, we're about the same age. I always put uh, somebody from Match Game 76 in there. You know, Charles Nelson okay. Riley, Fanny Flagg. And, but listening to that list of uh, celebrities, sales. Jamie, I, I think it's f- fair to say that you are the biggest celebrity uh, oh, that come out of Southampton. Yeah, well, I, didn't get to, <laughs> I didn't get to Jake Metz, who played for the Soul and – uh, you know, a couple Jake practice spots. All right. All right. You also went to St. Joe's University. And which celebrity did not go to St. Joe's? Uh, a is Cardinal John Patrick Foley. Uh, B is James Hetfield, lead singer of Metallica. C is Joe Lenardi, the bracketologist. And D is Marshmallow, <laughs> electronic music producer and DJ. Wow. Who was the second guy? James Hetfield, who's the lead singer of Metallica. I'm going to say it, Tim. (laughs) I don't think he made it out of grade school, that dude. You're two for two. All right. Number (laughs) three, uh, and you you talked about this in one of your – when you were talking. Your first professional baseball team was, I believe, the Geneva Cubs, right? It was in the New York Penn League. Correct. 1984. Which of these was not a teammate, okay? A, Stan Uh Broderick. B, Laddie Renfro. C, David Amaro. And D, Bob Tonin. Who was the last guy? Bob Tonin. I'm going to say it's the first guy. Ooh, no. Stan Broderick. No. Uh, Stan Broderick was on your teams. Bob Tonin is our IT guy. <laughs> so, uh, so that's all right. We okay. had a Bob. We had a book. We had a bit of guys. Well, hopefully Stan okay, Broderick. Go ahead. Hopefully, hopefully Stan Broderick has, has checked out no, the podcast. No, you know what? When you, when, no, when you said Stan Broderick, I thought I played with him the next year. Oh, all right. Oh, look at that. All right. Well, that, that you, you're fine because I think you know you still have five more to go. All right. How many strikeouts okay. do you have in your career? Uh, A two thousand four hundred forty-one. B nineteen seventy-eight. C two thousand seven. D two thousand two hundred forty-six. Whoa, whoa, say that again. You said, uh, uh, two, I'm gonna, I, know, I know the question. 2,400, go ahead. 2,441, 1,978, 2,007, or 2,246? 
the last one, 2,200. No, it was 2,000. You, you sold yourself short, 2,441. Oh, look at that. Wow, I was going to go with that one, but when you said the 2,200, I was thinking it was there. All right, you're going to go on a roll okay. right here. You're going to go on a roll because uh, you need All to get right. these last ones, but I think you're going to be fine. Who had the most career home runs versus you? Was it Carlos Delgado, Manny Ramirez, Mark Kotze, or Bernie Williams? Oh, my gosh. Between all of them, they probably had 100 total. <laughs> Mark Kotze, um, too? One had 10. Well, Kotze... Uh, Mark Kotze wore me out. Really? Is that he right? Lived, he lived, yeah, he lives near me. And we had, well, at the time, I, didn't, I wouldn't call it fun, but we had some, some fun with it, too. Um, wow. So I know it's not Mark Kotze, but he did own me. Let me see. It's either, wow, the, the, the other, Delgado hit a lot. Manny hit a lot. And and Bernie, I'm I'm gonna say Bernie hit me well in the latter part of my career. Uh, I'm gonna say Manny. Manny Ramirez is right. Ah, nice, yep. Jamie. Manny Ramirez All right. is right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. Uh, one season you had 14 hits. Obviously, it's not the Mariners. Uh, so which which really? team did you do that on? Was I faced it... a lot of knuckleballers then. <laughs> was, it, was it the 2008 Phillies, the 2007 Phillies, the 1988 Cubs, or the 1987 Cubs? Oh, boy. It was one of the Cub years. Yeah, you're right. Um, you this got to Yeah, because I couldn't make it down to first base 14 times when I was with the Phillies, so I know that. <laughs> um. 88 well, or 87? 87? That's a tough one. 87. I'm going to say it was 87. 87 is correct. Yeah. You're on a roll. you got to get yeah. the last two. Yeah. All right. You are, All one right. Of, you are one of 29 players to play Major League Baseball in four decades, which is another amazing yep. stat. Which yep. is uh, – I'm going to mention four guys. Three are in that company with you, and one is not. So tell me who the oh, one boy. is not. So Willie McCovey, Nolan Ryan, Johnny Bench, or Ricky Henderson? Willie McCovey. Oh, I know Rick. I'm pretty sure Ricky did, and I know Rolf Nolan did. So you're between Willie McCovey uh, and Johnny Bench. Willie McCovey and Johnny Bench. Whoa! I'm going to say Willie McCovey. Oh, Johnny Bench. But we'll give you a, oh! if you get the if you get the last one, you you'll you win. All right. So All right. I know one of your favorite movies. <laughs> we, we change we, the rules here. Yeah, we grade on a curve. <laughs> one of your favorite okay. movies is Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Which Red Wing did character Cameron Fry wear for pretty much the entire film? Was it Gordy Howe, Steve Eiserman, Steve Ted Lindsay, or Marcel Pronovost? Gordy Howe. Gordy, Gordy Howe's Howe. correct. Got to be Gordy Howe. Yep, Gordy Howe's yeah. correct. And well, and 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 Tom grading on a curve. I'm used to that because I got that all through my uh, my uh, public school days. <laughs> <laughs> they were generous there at Satterton, huh? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, you got through, Jamie. You had a heck of a career. We didn't even talk about it. it was so much fun having you back for a couple of years, uh, you know, doing broadcasting. Yeah. And uh, I know you're out west, but uh, hopefully, you know, and our alumni days have been kind of weird, obviously, last year uh, with the uh, the COVID. And then even this year, we're, we're, right. we're not going all out. But, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see you soon and have you back real soon. Yeah, I miss seeing you guys. Miss being in Philadelphia. Miss seeing the Phillies and hanging out at the ballpark. It's you know a ton of great memories. Um, and obviously, growing up there, you know, get to see family. But uh, yeah, nothing but uh, great memories of uh, being a Philadelphia Philly. Well, thank you very much for taking your time. And uh, again, go out and get the book. Just tell me I can't. So it's phenomenal. Right. 
Great. Well, thanks, Dave. Right. We really appreciate it. Thanks Great for talking me to you. On. Yep. All right. All take right. care. Bye bye. Have a good day. Thanks. All right. Bye bye. Jamie Moyer, how about that, John? Huh? That was great. And again, you uh, were fired up. You well, were like, I just, you know, you, I just, I just thought it you was read a fa- that book and you're like, oh, man, I didn't know all this, you know, was, was going fa- on with Jamie. It's a fascinating yeah. career, it really yeah, is. Yeah, and and yeah. but again, as I said earlier, it's it's such a good life lesson for kids to mm. not give up. You know, uh, when people tell you you can't, you know, you have control, as Jamie said. Yeah. You know, a lot of that Harvey Dorfman principles apply to everyday life. All of it applies to everyday life. So it's uh, I just I just found it fascinating and someone who just again kept coming up to obstacles and kept going through it as yeah. if they weren't anything. So awesome, yeah. awesome. And then for him, I mean, it's storybook, right? I mean, to be able to win his one World Series here right. in Philadelphia hometown. So uh, great to have him on, John. Uh, we're on a roll, and uh, I don't know when our next podcast is, but it'll be uh, coming up. And we'll be ready to rock and roll again. Sounds good. All right. Hey, thanks for tuning in, everybody. And we'll see you next time on Phillies Backstage.